God, we thank you that uh, not only do you have a name, it's a name that we can claim today. As new believers, we can claim that name forever. We can say, Jesus, we call on you. We say, you are our Savior, our Lord. And as old believers, people who have known you for a long time, Lord, we can claim. May our faith be real, Lord. May it be fully grounded in you, fully found in you. For you are the one and only true and living God. We love you so much this morning. Would this be a time of worship as we learn from the Bible and we learn from Danny and the words that you've put in his heart today. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Uh, I am so excited to be back with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Britt. I hope you enjoyed your vacation. Uh, someday I'll take vacation, like today. Uh, we leave at 11, uh, 1, rather, 11, I'd still be in service. Uh, we leave at 1 to go see my family up north, uh, and I'm very excited for my, great, my grandparents to meet Theo, uh, his great-grandparent. It's going to be awesome. Uh, but if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to John chapter 8. John chapter 8 is where we are going to be as we continue our series, Jesus on Jesus. I am short. Oh, goodness. Okay, there we go. <laughs> uh, and so as we dive into our scripture today, uh, we are going to notice that Jesus is surrounded by people. He is in the temple courts. Uh, he's there teaching because he knows that there's going to be an audience here. There are going to be people who want to hear what he has to say. And Jesus has already at this point started to accumulate a pretty significant following. People want to know what he has to say. They want to know the things that he is teaching. And so, in the temple courts, the crowds gather around him. In John chapter 8, starting in verse 12, it says this. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I'll be honest, when I was prepping for the sermon, I read this and I knew kind of, hey, I, I know where I'm going to go with this. Uh, I was going to talk to you about light and Jesus announcing that he's light. And then maybe I would have all the lights turn off in the worship center. And I'd get a small little flashlight and I'd shine it up. And you'd be able to see how that little light illuminates. And then from there, uh, I would take you over to Matthew chapter 5, which is the start of the Sermon on the Mount. Where Jesus tells his followers, you are the light of the world. And then from there, we'd start a healthy conversation about what it looks like to live practically these words that Jesus speaks. How we are supposed to model his life, the way that he taught, the way that he approached people, loved on people in our world today. But as I started doing my research and as I started studying and formulating an actual direction and like real verse references and all this stuff, I realized that there was so much more that I could do. It's kind of like this. Uh, on Friday, uh, I needed to get a file. I needed to uh, get my template for Quest for Tuesday because I won't be there. I'm going to pre-record my sermon. Uh, and so I needed to get those files, and I have this app on my computer that allows me to log in remotely. And so I opened up my app on my phone and went to log into my computer, and it was not functioning. I'm like, that's weird. Maybe the internet, the church is down. So I go here. I come here on Friday uh, around 10 o'clock. And uh, I share an office with our high school pastor, Mojo. Uh, I used to share an office with Jed, and then he moved up, and now he's upstairs, and that's fine. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not hurt. Uh, but I share an office with Mojo, who's an equally good replacement. Uh, and uh, we do this thing where we, like, try to conserve energy. And so we keep the lights in our office off pretty much all the time, unless someone that's not the two of us comes in and, like, talks to us. And then we're just like, hey, can you just flip that switch so I can see your face? Uh, and so I walk into the office like I normally do because we have these massive windows. We have these three really big windows uh, that during the day allow just enough daylight for us to function. 
uh, and to read stuff without squinting too hard. Uh, and so I walk into our office. It's 10 o'clock. The sun's out. It's a beautiful day. And I don't turn on the light. And I proceed to walk over to my desk. But uh, once I open this door, I realize there's a desk in the middle of our office. Like, this is weird. But I'm like, you know, we've been shuffling some things around. Uh, we're moving furniture around a few of the offices. And so I thought, okay, maybe, maybe they just didn't have a place for this. Uh, and so I'm not going to worry about it. So I go put my keys and my phone on my desk. And I'm curious, though. I wonder what's in these drawers. So me being the kind of person that I am, I walk over to these drawers, and I open the first drawer, and I go, huh, that's my stuff. <laughs> that's really weird. Someone emptied my drawer and put it in this drawer. Whatever. And so, uh, you know, not understanding what's happening, uh, I reach for the second drawer, and I pull it out, and lo and behold, there's more of my stuff. And I'm like, what is going on? And at that point... I walk over to our light switch, and I flip on our light switch, and I turn around to look at my desk, and it's not my desk. My desk has been replaced with something that Mojo built for me. Several weeks ago, when he was first on staff, we had a conversation about, like, our dream setup, uh, and Mojo went out of his way, uh, with the help of Brian Purvis, to build a desk for me that is the exact specifications of a desk that I love. And the reason I tell you this is because my, my work with this scripture, the way that I study the scripture, is a lot like that. I could function by just walking in, not turning on the lights. I could have done everything I needed to do without turning on the lights. But it wasn't until I turned on those lights that I realized that the thing before me was actually so much better, so much more exciting, so much more significant, so, so new to me. And so, rather than just taking you to Matthew chapter 5, which is a great thing to do, I want to give you some of the things from this passage, some of the things from my study uh, that really stood out to me. These are three of the most significant things that I learned while researching. And so, uh, we're just going to go straight in. And the first thing that I learned is that when John talks with Jesus, when John writes about Jesus saying, I am the light, John is talking about new creation. And if you read through the Gospel of John, you will learn that this guy is an incredible writer, an unbelievable author. He's taking these Greek and these Hebrew concepts, these ideas, these thought processes, and rather than talking about them as just the Hebrew thought or just the Greek thought, he takes these things and he finds ways to blend them together for his audience. His entire uh, thought process is concerned with representing Jesus as the most superior being in existence. And so when you read through John, he starts in his most divine form. And John doesn't start his gospel uh, like Luke, where he writes an introduction and says, this is the reason why I'm doing these things. It's for you, Theophilus, that you could understand. He doesn't uh, start his gospel like Matthew either, which begins with a genealogy, a long history of all of the people that have come before Jesus, how he's connected to Abraham and how he's connected to David. No, instead, John goes way back, way back to the beginning of the Hebrew Scriptures, the beginning of our Old Testament, and he mimics the way that Genesis opens. He begins uh, with, in the beginning, the first verse of our Bible, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created. John mimics that, copies it, and says, yes, I'm going to use this, in the beginning. Genesis opens with God bringing about everything, creating things, introducing, speaking light into the world. And John parallels that and establishes that from the beginning, from before the creation of everything, Jesus was there. In the beginning, the word was with God, and the word was God. And not only does Jesus bring life into this world, 
Through him, all things have been created. He brings life into the world, but through this life, Jesus also brings light into the world. And so when we compare these two passages of scripture, we notice that the first thing that God does is create. He creates the world and then introduces light into it. God says, let there be light. And then we notice that in John, the first thing that he does is announce Jesus' presence in the world, his presence in all things. And through this presence, we have life and light. Both create, both bring light into this new world. See, John is connecting that Jesus, with Jesus comes new creation. And he's acknowledging that in scripture, light is a marker of new creation. Wherever we read about life, there's also light. Wherever we read about new light, there's an opportunity for someone or something to have new life. And so when John depicts Jesus entering into this world, he's announcing that this is the start of a new creation. This is the start of a new thing, that God is opening up new doors for his people. And John is reopening those doors to Eden. And he's connecting Jesus walking on earth with God walking side by side with Adam and Eve. But unlike this Genesis account of creation, as hard as the darkness might rally against the light, as hard as the darkness might try to fight off the light and the things that it represents, the darkness will never overcome it. The darkness can never overcome Jesus, can never overcome the new life that Jesus is inviting people into. And so when Jesus stands in the temple courts and he says, I am the light, he is announcing that he is the start of something new. That God is revealing a chance to be made new through the life of Jesus and through the ministry of Jesus. And this life of Jesus will show everyone the way that we can all access this new life. This new invitation. There's this rabbinical saying, this this great Jewish rabbinical saying. It says this, it is, in the beginning. In the beginning, God separated the light from the darkness. And the scriptures show us how to do the same. And this statement could not be any more true than we look at the life of Jesus. A man who walked on earth and said, I'm going to remove the darkness from these situations. I'm going to remove the darkness from these people. As he sought to bind the strong man, to bind the darkness. One of the other things that we learn, one of the other points of insight that I have is regarding the consistency of light. One of my favorite movies growing up is this movie called The Sandlot. Uh, It is by far the greatest baseball movie of all time uh, for many reasons. Uh, It is extremely quotable and it's a fascinating movie about growing up, summer baseball, making new friends, first kisses and it was incredible marketing for pf flyers shoes that are guaranteed to make you run faster and jump higher but within that movie there's this scene uh, about playing night games if you've ever played baseball and you've ever had the privilege of playing under the lights it is the greatest feeling of all time i remember the first time i played a night game uh, i was about 14 years old and there was a park by my aunt's house it was called jones park and it was the only stadium in town that had lights And so when I got my schedule that first year and I saw Jones Stadium, 7 o'clock, I went, we're going to play in the dark. And I got really excited because when you step onto a lit field, when you step onto a field that has the lights and they're bright and they're shining in your face and you can see everything even though it's dark around you, you feel like all of those little league dreams of yours have come true. You step onto that field and you're like, yeah, I made it to the show. I'm here. I'm Derek Jeter Jr., 
except I'm not because I'm Japanese and really short. Uh, but in the Sandlot, in the Sandlot, every year on the 4th of July, they have one opportunity, one chance to make these dreams come true. They have one chance to play the night game. And so in, in the scene, after sprinting through a block party and like stealing food and watermelon on the way, they make it to the Sandlot and they start their game just as the sun is setting. And once the sun has set, when night covers them, the fireworks start. Bursts of color explode in the night sky, uh, casting brilliant light over their field. And they're covered in the magic that only exists when watching fireworks and nighttime baseball games. They feel like they've made it. They feel like they've done everything they've wanted. All their dreams are coming true. They don't have the blinding lights that we have today. They can't just go to, to Petco Park and play on the field. They can't do any of those things, so they resourcefully rely on the inconsistent volleys of light in the sky. And they would use these flashes of color and then dark them. And so what would happen is, I imagine you'd probably see the pitcher wind up and get ready to throw, and you'd see uh, a bright light as the fireworks go boom, and then all of a sudden it's dark. And you're like, oh no. You hear the crack of the bat, and you're like, I can't see anything. And then you have to wait for that next uh, explosion of light before you realize, oh, the ball's behind me. I should go get that. Or worse, you wouldn't do anything and it would hit you in the face. That'd be terrible. <laughs> but as I read through John, as I read through John, I realize that this light, these fireworks types of light aren't the kinds of light that Jesus represents in our world. Because Jesus' light is constant, not frenetic. Jesus' presence on earth starts a steady stream of light that reveals hope and truth and healing for so many people. If you turn your Bibles over to John chapter 9, just a few pages over, we catch Jesus right as he's about to heal a man who's been born blind. When Jesus sees him, when he and the disciples see him, they start to ask a very basic question about the origin of his blindness, the origin of his condition. But Jesus disregards all of these things, and he starts a different discussion with them. And then he says this uh, in verse 4 and 5. He says, as long as it is day, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Again, just a few days later after this initial uh, moment in the temple courts, you have Jesus again saying, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. But this time he brings in another metaphor, another thing for his disciples to attach meaning to. And that's daylight, sunlight. Jesus is telling his disciples, as long as I am here, it is day. But there is a time where I will no longer be here on earth. And that will be nighttime. Daylight is constant. It's consistent. If you know anything about science, you know that the sun, regardless of what is happening, radiates light towards us. The only reason nighttime is different from daytime is because we've literally moved ourselves out of the, the presence of this light. But if we go back to the sandlot, if we look at the differences between constant light and this frenetic, explosive, erratic light, you might remember that when the fireworks show started, when they're playing on that field and the fireworks are exploding in the sky around them, eight out of nine stopped paying attention. Most of the people on that field heard the explosion, saw the colors, and said, I wonder what that is. And only Benny the Jet Rodriguez stayed focused because he's awesome. 
But erratic light, erratic bursts of light can be incredibly distracting. It might be beautiful, it might be awesome, but it can move our eyes, pull our eyes away from the things that matter most. Away from the things that are most important, moving us out of the presence of constant true light and into the shadows, awaiting something that's more satisfying, that's prettier, that's more attractive. But Jesus' presence in this world, the ministry he performed and the way that he cared for others was constant. It was steady. It was fixed. Jesus was focused on his mission, which was to reveal the truth regarding who God is and what it is that God desires in the lives of those who choose to follow. And that takes us to my favorite piece of insight. This is the thing that got me most excited to share with you this morning because I am a super nerd. Uh, And the third point of insight regards the Feast of Tabernacles, or it's this Jewish holiday known as Sukkot. And when we pull Jesus' words out of their original context, we lose a lot of the meaning. They seem kind of random. Like, why would you start a lesson with I am the light? Who does that? That'd be like me standing here and going, I am the drums. You're like, I don't know what that means. Sometimes that happens when we just jump in and forget about the context of what Jesus is saying. But when we look at it and we surround it with its original context, with this beautiful Jewish festival, we are greeted with such an extravagant picture. When Jesus says, I am the light, he is referring to a ceremonial light. See, this Feast of Tabernacles, it's an event that occurs in mid to late September. And it's, it's a pilgrimage festival. So it's one of the times during the year that Jewish people would, would, would approach Jerusalem. They would head off to Jerusalem to celebrate this thing. And at this festival, guests were invited to gather together and to eat, to remember God's providence when Moses led them through the wilderness, and to look forward to the coming of the Messiah, the anointed one who would redeem and reunite Israel for a week, for seven days families would build this thing called a sakah, and it's this makeshift housing and for an entire week they would live in this makeshift housing to represent to relive the protection that god provided for them but on the first night of this festival there was a candle lighting ceremony in the temple courtyard Priests would take these four bowls and they would put a candlestick in the middle of each bowl and they would raise these things 75 feet above the temple courtyard. And then they would have these four boys who were training themselves uh, to become priests and they would stand at the feet of these ladders with 120 logs and a jar of oil. And then together, they would climb the 75 feet up the ladders. They would drop the logs in these bowls. They would pour oil into the bowls to soak the logs. And then the priests would tear off parts of their garments, light them on fire, and light these candles. And these four lights were so bright, they would fill the entire courtyard. They might even illuminate the city from a distance. But what's even cooler is that this candle lighting didn't stop there. Families would gather in their own courtyard. And once they saw that the temple courts were alight, they were illuminating in the night sky, they would then light their own candles in their own courtyard. It says in in some of the Jewish uh, scriptures that not a single courtyard 
In all of Jerusalem, not a single courtyard didn't represent the light that was coming from the temple. The entire city was lit up, illuminated, on fire. But Jesus isn't just calling this to mind. He isn't just calling to mind saying, I am the light of the world. I am the light. You remember that thing we did six days ago? That's me. The way that I light up the city, I don't just light up the city, I'm going to light up the world. He's not just calling that to mind, but Jesus is drawing reference to the Old Testament prophecy. Scattered throughout Isaiah and Zechariah, there are these references to Israel living as a light to the nation. One of these verses is Isaiah 42.6. It'll be on your screen. It reads, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. Israel's history is rooted in God's hope that they would live as a light to the nations, that their lifestyle and the things that they chose to abstain from would draw others into the presence of God, would draw others towards God. What's interesting is that this Feast of Tabernacles wasn't just a feast for Jewish people, but it was an open invitation. Even if you weren't Jewish, you could attend. If you were a Gentile turned Jewish, you could attend. If you were just a Gentile, some, some stranger who's wandering through Jerusalem at a terrible time, like, can you imagine traffic when all of the Jewish people approach Jerusalem? It'd be awful. But if you were just a Gentile, you were invited to come visit, to come and see, to come and bear witness to the power, the emotion of this candle lighting ceremony. So Jesus is capitalizing on the inclusive nature of this festival while also pronouncing that he is the fulfillment of this prophecy. When Jesus says, I am the light, he's acknowledging that he is fulfilling the light. There's this other reference that Jesus is making, found just a few chapters over from Isaiah 42. It's in Isaiah 60. It says, the sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again, and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will end. Jesus is announcing that he is the light, that he is the fulfillment of these prophecies, that through Jesus, all people can be reconciled, have their relationship with God restored. That Jesus is taking these prophecies that were claimed about Israel, about these folks, these Jewish people, and saying, I'm fulfilling this. I am finalizing everything that you were supposed to live for. Through Jesus, there is now a hope for the future. A day where all of our sorrows can end. A day of everlasting light. And all people, all people, even if you aren't Jewish, are invited to draw near to the safety and the comfort and the warmth and the hope of the light of Christ. So where then does that leave us? How do we take these words that Jesus has spoken and apply them to our current context, our current lives here in 2018? Well, for those of us who have already chosen to follow after God, who have already chosen to dedicate our lives chasing after the standards of Jesus, then we learn that we are to bring hope through healing. We are invited to bring hope through healing. The story of Jesus healing the blind man in John chapter 9 shows us just the power of healing. The power of Jesus' work in the world. The way that he could physically lay hands or in this case spit in the dirt and rub some mud in someone's eye. And heal. 
But this isn't the only type of healing. This is a great example of physical healing, of Jesus uh, mending something that was broken, of restoring sight to a person born blind. But there are other types of healing, things that we are fully capable of doing. We can provide for others emotional healing, helping people walk through the process of grief, helping people walk through the pain of whatever things are going on in their lives, whether that's divorce or just other broken relationships. We can also provide relational healing through things like forgiveness and reconciliation. When we take the time to make sure that our fractured relationships are filled again. We can provide theological healing by reconnecting other people in our lives with their creator and helping them thresh out the truths of who God is from the lies and the myths that permeate our culture and our world. Throughout Jesus' ministry, we get to watch as he poured himself out on behalf of others over and over and over again so that they might experience healing on some level. Because Jesus treated people as if they had worth inherently. He didn't wait for them to hit some standard. He didn't wait for them to, to believe the right things or to say the right things or think the right things. Jesus just showed up and said, hey, I, I want to help you. I see that you're blind. I want to heal you. I see that you're hungry. I want to feed all 5,000 of you. Jesus stepped into the world and said, you are valuable. You have worth. He saw his people around him as if they were actually created in the image of God. And he loved them simply because they existed. And in doing so, Jesus made space for those who so often go overlooked or whose state of being has caused them to be pushed to the fringes of society. But one other thing that we can learn from Jesus one other way that we can apply the light of Jesus to our world is to simply open the courtyard. To open the courtyard. What I mean by that is that we must learn to be people who invite, who include, and who repeat. Invite, include, and repeat. The Feast of Tabernacles was an event for all people. It was an event for all people. It was something that included an invitation to come and see. Oh, you're Jewish? Come and see. Oh, you're not Jewish? Come and see. Oh, you're going to be visiting Jerusalem in mid-September? Come and see. Come witness this thing that we do. Come join us as we eat together. Come join us as we look back to the things that God has done for us and as we look forward to the things that we know God will do for us, to bear witness to the experiences that we have. And so if Jesus is truly new life as John thinks and as John connects, then our response is to open up our doors, to open up our doors, to open up our hearts, and to invite as many people as possible to our gatherings, to our meals, and to come celebrate the work that God has done in our own lives and in our own communities. And to think about the things that God is going to do as we move forward. Because the gift of the gospel, the gift of Jesus, isn't just meant for one group of people. It isn't meant for those who already believe in Jesus. But it's an open courtyard that invites all people to experience that light. To stand beneath it. To stand in awe of the work that God has done. 
And so we learn to invite and include and repeat so that others can learn to invite and include and repeat. Both the people who are extremely like us and those who are exceptionally different from us. Because the light of Jesus shines out brightly and the darkness can't overcome it. And if we make that turn back to Matthew chapter 5 where, where Jesus says, you are the light, then it becomes our responsibility. It becomes our, our, our work, our mission to replicate the life of Jesus in this world. To continue to inject life and light into the darkest places around us. To bring hope to the people that need it most. And if you've never taken the step into light, if you haven't chosen yet to follow after Jesus with your whole heart, then I hope you know that you're invited. I hope you know that you are welcome to the table. That there is space for you to lay down the things that might prevent you. The things that might burden you most. And to take up a new life. To take up a new light. And enter in to an everlasting chance to be made new. Because like all of us, we're invited to come and see. To come bear witness. To rejoice in the things that God has done. And to use those to expose others to the light of Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the way that you have opened up so many doors, so many opportunities for each one of us to step into new life with you, to step into new creation. And so God, as I pray that as we think about this feast, to think about the open invitation to come sit at the table, that there are people on our hearts and in our minds that we're already thinking of, people that, that need hope, people that need to be invited, people that need to come and see the things that you're doing here. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the way that you look at us and say you are valuable and I want you on my team. I want you at my table. Be with us as you always are. Make us aware of your presence this week. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Give light.